0: you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, keep your Bibles open if you have them. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Come see our team at the info desk. Uh, but my name is Mike. Uh, it's my joy to um, to serve here. as one of the pastors here uh, here at City on a Hill, Brisbane. Uh, well, who's ready for some good news? Yeah, great, uh, exciting that our church family grew this week. We have two new births uh, for our family, so let's make, uh, they're not here, I don't think, in this room, but um, let's make some noise for for Alice and for Scout. Amazing. So good. So good. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for for these bubs. I'm going to pray for us as well. So why don't you join with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for new life. Uh, We do thank you for these babies that you have made, that you have brought into the world. Uh, We do thank you for their health and vitality, and we thank you um, that we live in a world that has um, incredible opportunity um, and access to to medicine and healthcare. But Lord, we do pray for not just their physical well-being, but also their spiritual well-being. May their trust always be in Jesus. And Lord, for us, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it, and that by it, we we may have the words of eternal life. I pray this morning that by your spirit, you would change us through your word to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, question for you. How did you decide what you're going to wear this morning? How did you decide what you were going to wear this morning? Maybe you're like my wife, Sarah, that likes to get organized and kind of lays everything down the night before. Maybe you're more like me that kind of stumbles in the dark and go, oh yeah, I think this is clean, you know, the, the sniff test. Um, and you know this probably doesn't need iron. It's kind of you know a bit florally and that kind of stuff. Great. There's my clothes. How did you decide what you're going to wear this morning? Well, the book of 1 Peter, in fact, the, the, the passage that was just read to us uh, by Nathan's great voice, uh, was, uh, actually tells us how we should dress for church. It tells us how we should dress for church. Uh, I don't know if you picked it up. But by Peter, he says, by wearing humble pants. Uh, keep your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, and, and look at verse 5. Peter says, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. Clothe yourself with humility. Humility. I love this uh, quote by Rick Warren. He's paraphrasing C.S. Lewis. He says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself but it's thinking of yourself less. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he says, the humble one, uh, they're not the one that's putting themselves down. The humble person, he says, is the one that shows genuine interest in another person. Have you ever walked into church, uh, maybe it was here, maybe it was at another church, uh, where the people there showed genuine interest in you? You felt like you were known and listened to and loved. Uh, You left feeling more encouraged, more warm than when you walked in. Friends, that's the picture of humility. It's about putting others ahead of ourselves. Using whatever you have, your money, your time, even just a a smile and a listening ear uh, for the service of others. I want to show us this morning that from this text, the last uh, chapter of the letter of 1 Peter, the key to healthy church relationships is humility. It's having the right perspective of God and others should draw us to humility. Uh, over the past couple of months, and, and thank you for sharing, uh, everyone, uh, your reflections for, from 1 Peter. We've been uh, looking at, at this letter to elect exiles, to sojourners, sojourners um, who are just passing through, uh, just passing through because uh, their home and our home if, as followers of Jesus is not really here. It's in heaven. And and so many of the instructions that Peter gives throughout this letter is to what to expect to a world that doesn't know Jesus. Uh, As we we saw, suffering uh, is something that we can expect as we interact with a world that doesn't know and even disagrees with the things of Jesus. But today, as we wrap up this letter, we're going to change our focus a little bit and look a bit more inward. Uh, What does it mean to relate to each other? How do we have a healthy life? church. First thing we're going to see is humility from leaders. Humility from leaders. It starts at the top. A healthy church needs humble leaders. Uh, The context in the end of chapter four, Peter's just been talking about suffering as he has um, throughout the letter. And he says that judgment begins with God's household. Now, what he means by that is not that um, the family of God, God's church, are going to have to suffer extra judgment and miss out on salvation. No, the judgment sword has fallen on Jesus, as Sam uh, helpfully uh, quoted from 1 Peter 3, 18, uh, that I'll read it to you so I don't misquote it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, and but made alive in the spirit. See, Christ has already done our time. He's, the judgment sword's fallen on him, and if we follow him, if we trust in him, uh, we don't have to face God's judgment. We're not gonna, we don't have to worry about, oh, are we going to make it to heaven? Yes, we will, because of what Christ has done. That's good news. And yet, uh, Dave talked about this last week. Uh, there's a particular judgment that we do face, like a judgment of discipline, uh, a refining judgment that makes us more... And more like Christ. That judgment begins with God's household, and there's a particular call for judgment on leaders. I think that's why there's a transition based on that. So I exhort the elders, Peter goes in verse 1. Do you know who Jesus was harshest against? It was people like myself, it was religious teachers. You know, for me, one of the most confronting verses in the whole Bible is uh, James chapter 3, uh, verse 1, that says, Not many of you should presume should be to be teachers because you'll be judged more harshly. Now, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, he's not talking about school teachers, he's talking about people that are teaching God's word, he's talking about pastors, church leaders as the men who are responsible before God. And so Peter, he, he has that in mind in verse 1. Come with me if you have a Bible. So I exhort the elders among you. Well, Who are the elders? Uh, they were in particular that the pastors who would teach and preach and oversee the church. For us uh, here at City on a Hill, uh, we've had an evolving process of local eldership where we just turned five last year as a church. Obviously, we've got Dave, um, lead pastor. We've also got Steve and myself uh, on staff. We've got uh, Michael and Grant who've been serving as lay elders. And right now, we're under, undergoing a uh, process of a strategic review across the movement, across the eight churches uh, that call ourselves City on a Hill. Uh, we're going to have more clarity soon about leadership and governance structures, so stay tuned for that. But here, The text is clear that it's talking at least about the pastors. And you know, one of the best advices I've heard of preaching is to preach the text to yourself first. And for me this morning, this is particularly relevant. I'm literally preaching this point one, humble leaders to myself. And so therefore you might be thinking, oh great, I'm I'm off the hook. This doesn't apply to me. Uh, on one level, yes, but actually on another level, no, there's particular applications for us. I want you to um, not, not sit back too far in your comfy cinema chair, but pay attention because this is critical. Church leadership, it's important stuff. Um, and you only need to read the, the recent events that are happening right world in certain churches about how important church leadership is. We need to know what does the Bible say about Leadership. What does it say about being a pastor? I need you to hold me accountable for this. For those that are aspiring to go into Christian ministry, this is really important. But also, for many of us here, there's a a particular secondary application for us. Many of us here are gospel community leaders, Uh, we're a team leader at church, Uh, many of us uh, are involved in next generation ministry, city crash kids and youth. Uh, Many of us are Christian parents, uh, or you maybe are a teacher in a Christian school. There's important principles for you. And so come with me again to verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Peter, he's about to give the church leaders a command. But before he does that, he actually models the humility that's in that command. I don't know if you noticed that. Peter, he's an apostle. Uh, he was one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus. In fact, uh, he was arguably Jesus' best mate. Uh, you know, He could have stated, you know, Ron Burgundy style, if you've seen Anchor Man, he could have stated, you know, I don't know if you know, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a big deal around here. He could have said that. But no, he said, elders, as one of you, our rewards are the same. I'm a partaker of glory. Verse 4 So too you will receive the crown of glory. As an aside, I don't know how you can read this and think that Peter was like the head of the church or that he was the first pope. I don't see how how that fits up with this in scripture. Peter, he's placing himself equal with the other elders. Now, this isn't a unique charge for elders that you kind of rock up to heaven and then here's your crown of glory. And for everyone else, you're kind of out in the the slums of heaven. No, no, there's a picture of equality uh, under Christ. But what does Peter, what does he call the church leaders to do? What's his command? Well, verse two, keep reading with me. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What does that mean? Well, firstly, it's, it's God's flock. I don't know if you saw that. The flock of God. It's not my flock. You're not Dave's flock, seated on a hill's flock. No, you're God's flock. God is your shepherd. What does it mean to be a shepherd? It's not exactly a popular career choice these days. Um, hands up if you kind of work in healthcare or studying in that space. A few, yeah, a few of us, right? Hands up if you work as a shepherd. Yeah, not so many hands. Uh, what's a shepherd? Well, the motif of a shepherd, it, it's pretty common throughout the Bible. You know, Back in an agriculture-based society, sheep were important things. And so we need people to look after the sheep. Uh, all throughout the Bible, we see this. Uh, it's Psalm 23, perhaps the most famous song in the whole Bible. King David, he says, and we're going to sing a song about this later. He says, the Lord, my God, the Lord, my, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God is the one who is directing and feeding and leading His people, the sheep. Jesus picks this up in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay my life down for his sheep. As an aside, those who never said, those who say that Jesus never claimed to be God, well, I think this, this passage says the opposite. Jesus says that I'm the good shepherd. And, and me and God, we're, we're equal. Notice what a shepherd does though. He knows his flock and he lays down his life for them. The call for leaders, and in particular pastors, we need to firstly know the flock that God has put under our care. You know, I'm super thankful for, uh, for Dave and for Roe uh, that pretty much every newcomer's night has been at their place. Uh, you know, They, they want to know you. Hands up, who's, hands up who's ever been along to Dave and Roe's place. Hands up. Look at all those hands. Amazing. If you haven't, come along. April 25th, we've got our next newcomer's night. Even if you've been around for a little while, we'd love to have you there. Leaders need to know the flock. That's why we need to... Church is more than just an hour on a Sunday morning to live in community. We need to know each other. That's why we organize ourselves into smaller groups. Uh, Sam said, gospel communities. Uh, you know, Church is too big for one pastor, even a few pastors, to know everyone intimately. We need smaller groups where gospel community leaders can kind of shepherd smaller flocks. That's why we eat dinner each week in gospel communities. Even though it's kind of a bit logistically tricky sometimes to kind of coordinate that, we value it because we need to be spending time together, sharing life together. That's why this year, for the first time, I'm excited. We're running our first ever church camp uh, so that we can spend a good chunk of time just getting to know each other, just hanging out with each other, just sharing life with each other so that we can know you and so that you can be known. But also as shepherds, Uh, We're to look to Jesus as the one who lays down his life for his sheep. Leaders, I'm so encouraged by so many of you uh, that are pouring out your lives sacrificially to lead and feed and shepherd others. Uh, Whether it be going to hospital visits uh, for people that are sick, whether it be uh, loving on first-time parents uh, giving them meals, whether it be taking midnight phone calls for people that are struggling. I'm so encouraged by how you're using your time, your energy, and your talents for the sake of the flock. The particular call for pastors is humble, sacrificial service. And we see, uh, back in 1 Peter, we see three things that this isn't, and three things that it is. And they're all to do with the heart. Uh, Come with me uh, to verse 2. First, it's not about being forced into it. Verse 2 says, Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Willingly as God will have you. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've ever met a child, maybe a toddler, that suddenly forgets how to walk. Um, I've, uh, I've got a three-year-old and I'll be at the playground with, with her and I'll be like, Elle, time to go. Suddenly, she just forgets how to walk and I have to literally kind of drag her, sort of kicking and screaming. Friends, that's not the picture of biblical leadership. We don't do it because we're forced into it. We do it willingly out of the service of God. Now, maybe sometimes there might be a bit of a journey. There might be some conviction that needs to happen. Uh, I know for myself, when I was working in business, um, my pastor encouraged me to consider full-time ministry, to consider uh, doing like a ministry apprenticeship. And it took a couple of years, and I went on a few conferences and prayed. It took me a little bit of time to actually go along on that journey. But at the end, I wasn't going kicking and screaming. I was doing it uh, in response to conviction, out of joy. Ultimately, there should be a willingness uh, from you to serve. You know, it's God who's the one we're serving. God has gifted his church. God has gifted the leaders at our church and even you as a future leader at our church. So it's not about doing it forcefully. But secondly, it's not about the money. Come again verse 2. Peter says, Do it not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shameful gain, most commentators suggest, talking about the financial kickbacks that people sadly would get. Back in Peter's day, um, the first century church, they had an issue with money. Some pastors were literally selling the gospel, doing it for financial motivation. And unfortunately, that still happens today in churches. And God hates that. A helpful principle uh, in Proverbs 30, 8 to 9, paying pastors enough that they're not in poverty, they have to steal or do a whole bunch of side hustles, but also not so much that they're rich, that they rely on themselves and forget about God. The reason why we go into to Christian ministry shouldn't be motivated by money or, or some other kickback we get. We should be doing it eagerly to know Jesus and make Jesus known. So it's not about money. And thirdly, it's not about power. Scott McKnight, a commentator on 1 Peter, says that if loving money is a root of all kinds of evil, loving power is the earth that it grows and the moisture that feeds it. Leaders are to be humble, not doing it for the sense of status, uh, so they can feel good when people come to them with their problems, uh, so they can feel like their their voice kind of gives them a sense of satisfaction, or worse, so that they can control others. No, verse 3, check it out. Leaders are to be not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Christian leadership is never about power; rather, it's about being an example. Look, looking to Jesus. Jesus never calls us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. When he says, "Go and preach the gospel," Jesus preached an unpopular message that ultimately got him killed. Uh, when Jesus says to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him in Mark eight, Jesus himself was beaten up to the point where he physically couldn't carry his cross up the hill. He had to get another bloke called Simon to help him as he carried it on the way to his death. It's not about power. It's not about building a church that's famous. It's about making Jesus famous. It's about making disciples that make disciples. The call for us leaders is to not be power grabbing, but rather examples. To be living lives of humility amongst you, not lording over you, but being in the trenches with you, praying with you, serving you, loving you. Peter challenges leaders, in particular pastors, to be humble. But secondly, and this is for everyone, so you can't wake up if you're having a snooze, humility from the church. Check out verse five. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now, Peter, when he's saying younger, I don't think he's necessarily making an age distinction as they're all all those kind of over 45, you're the elders, and everyone else, you know, you submit to them. Uh, I don't think he's saying that he's a pattern of church government where everyone who's old is a leader and everyone who's young isn't. Perhaps in this early church context, the church is growing. Um, The elders were just ones who'd been around for a little while, who'd been following Jesus for a little while as the church was booming rather than the fresh, new converts. But I think maybe also they were the ones that were elder in the faith. They were the ones that were spiritually mature. There's a helpful principle there that with age comes wisdom uh, and we should be respecting those elder older than us. But I don't think Peter is universally saying that the old people are automatically the leaders. In fact, we see a couple of examples that sort of suggest otherwise. In 1 Timothy, Paul's charge to Timothy, who was an elder, the church in Ephesus, um, he says, don't let age get in the way of leadership. Don't let people look down upon you because you're young. Rather, set an example. Look to Jesus, the chief shepherd, a man who uh, died on the earth in his 30s. So we've already seen, and we've already seen as well, throughout the letter of 1 Peter, this kind of pattern to kind of to submit uh, and two groups of people. We've seen um, to the government, we've seen uh, Christians to submit to our, our government. We've seen uh, slaves to submit to masters. We've seen husbands, wives submit to husbands. I take it as well, uh, the similar pattern is happening. Similar language is used. Uh, the younger, those who are non elders, submit to the elders. You know, there's something slightly awkward though about me as a pastor saying, hey, you need to submit to your pastors. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. We need to take this seriously. And ultimately, we've seen Jesus, he's the boss, he's the chief shepherd. So all authority stems from him. I'm just an under-shepherd, under his authority. And so that means that I can never play, pastors can never play this kind of universal submission card, which means I get to force you to do whatever I want. No, that's wrong. The Bible is our authority. If I ever tell you to do something that's not in here, if I ever say something that's not in here, that disagrees with the word, I need you to hold me accountable to that. I need to speak, you need to speak up about that. That's why at church, we have multiple leaders. That's why we're part of a movement of churches. We've got a board overseeing us. You can come chat to me if you've got questions kind of about our leadership structures. But accountability, it's, it's, it's incredibly critical, uh, always, but particularly in this day and age. But God has entrusted us with a responsibility to lead. And sometimes that means making decisions that are hard, that are unpopular. And you know what? To be honest, we're not going to get it right all the time. Sometimes we might, I might fail you, disappoint you. We're not perfect, but we know the one who is, Jesus, our chief shepherd, Secondly, we've also seen the model of what it looks like to be a Christian leader. That's the, the picture of leadership that we're all called to submit to. You know, I want to submit to a leader like that that's humble. I want you to hold me accountable to be a leader like that that we've read in verse 1 to 4. So there's a call for the church for you to submit to leaders. What does that look like? We'll keep reading verse 5. Peter says, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humility, here we see it again. I remember a bunch of years ago, um, before I was in Christian ministry as a young guy, and I I was that guy that would have all the ideas about how to solve church's problems, and I'd write lots of emails. And uh, I remember once I wrote a 2,000-word email about how to run our youth group. And I wasn't even a youth leader. I'd never been a youth leader. But I I thought that you know it was my gift to the world to kind of share my thoughts. I wasn't coming from a place of humility. Now, not that there's never a place for suggestions, for critique, for ideas. In fact, I love and value having ministry conversations with you. But the key, it's humility. When you make a suggestion about something, what's your posture behind it? Maybe you'd prefer the music to be a little bit different, the sermons to be shorter or longer, the fonts to be different, whatever it is. When you say something, are you doing it out of humility? Are you doing it out of brotherly and sisterly love to build people up? Or are you doing it to tear people down? Are you doing it because you just want to hear, hear your voice? You need to voice your opinion. Or well, maybe you're not particularly vocal with leaders, but you, you've sort of got your group that you kind of mutter about with. Or maybe you can just do that with yourself. You grumble about how things are. Friends, the call for you in verse 5 is to clothe yourself with humility toward one another. All of us have humility towards each other. Not just showing humility to the leaders, but also towards each other. Australian Christian author John Dixon, he's written a great book called Humilitas, talking about what it means to be a humble leader. And he says, uh, he defines humility as this. He says, "...humility is the noble choice to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. More simply, you could say that the humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in the service of others." When you come to church or come to gospel community, do you give up your rights, your enjoyment, your pride for the service of others? Did, when you walked in this morning, did you come to serve? Do you try and leave people more encouraged than when they, leave, than they, when they arrived? Do you, do you notice people that you haven't met before, people that are perhaps by themselves? And when you're, when you're struggling, when you've had a hard week, do you, do you let people in? You know, if someone says, do you need anything? Uh, do you, are you quick just to jump? No, no, I'm all right. I'm all good. Or do you stop and maybe take off that mask of pride and allow your brothers and sisters that God has placed in your life to serve you? Friends, that's a picture of humility. Let's be humble, not just under our leaders, but with each other. So I've seen humility from leaders, humility from the church, thirdly and finally, humility under God. Come with me again to verse 5. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Remembering who God is should move us towards humility. Notice that language? The mighty hand of God. This is the God that spoke the universe into creation, the God that is in control, that's sustaining all things, the God that raised Jesus from the dead, the God that's got the power to raise you from the dead in Christ. And who are we? Seriously, who are you? You're just a tiny little person on this rock that we call planet Earth amongst billions and billions and billions of galaxies. Who's going to remember you in a hundred years' time? Seriously, You aren't that important. The right response to God is to humble ourselves before Him. God opposes the proud. Nothing could be worse than having an infinitely powerful and holy God opposed to you. So don't be proud. And yet here's the good news. God gives grace to the humble. Nothing could be better and have an infinitely powerful and wise God treat us graciously. Friends, this is gospel hope. That at the proper time when Christ returns, he will exalt us. We will get to feast with him forever, with all the Christian brothers and sisters from every tribe, every tongue, every time period, gathered together around the throne, not just for a little while, but forever and ever. We've been included into Jesus' will. When he died on the cross, we became heirs. And when he rose again, he didn't take that away, but rather he proved us to be God, defeated the power of death on the cross, and showed us the pathway to new life. And yet the mighty God, the mighty hand of God, draws near to us. Check out verse 7. I love this verse. We can cast all anxieties on him because he cares for us. God cares for us. He cares for us, even though God made everything, and yet He stops. He knows us. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows what's going on, the struggles, the things that are keeping us up at night. Now, I don't think, I don't think Peter's saying that um, you know, if you've got clinical anxiety, you can just pray it away. I don't think that's what he's saying here. But our worries, our struggles, the stresses in life, we can go to Him because He is good and He is in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. God isn't distant. He made everything and yet he cares for you. So we can approach God in humility, but also in confidence because of what Jesus, our chief shepherd, did for us on the cross. He laid down his life for his sheep and he conquered sin and death. Having the right perspective of God is key. Keep reading with me verse 8. Peter says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Friends, we need to wake up. There is a spiritual battle going on. We need to be alert but not alarmed. Victory has been won through Jesus, and yet Satan, the devil, he roars around like a lion looking to take people down. So again, this should lead, lead us to humility. Look, we're safe in Christ. And we sung about the lion before. Ultimately, Jesus is the lion who he's, he's, he's smashed and will smash the devil. We don't need to fear him. And yet, the devil still has some power here on earth. He can still entice people away by their own desires, by the things that the world offers. You know, if we think we can fight the battle on our own, that's going to make it sat- easier for Satan to drag us away from God to lead us into a life of sin. And if you're a leader, talking to myself here, you've got a bigger target on your back. Satan would love to take you down. And so the call here is to be watchful, to look out for temptation and to look out for each other. Now I saw this, uh, saw this meme this week, which was particularly irrelevant, so I'll share it with you. Don't be like that zebra who says... <laughs> I'm a Christian, but I don't need the church. You know what the problem with that zebra is? The problem with a Christian that says that it's lack of humility. We need each other. Look, I get that the church will fail and disappoint us. And there might be right reasons to distance yourself for a season. And yet God has made us into his family. The church is his bride. Jesus died for his bride. You can't be all about team Jesus and hate his bride. That's not how it works. Look around the room for a sec. Seriously, just turn your head around the room. This is who God has given you. You might be thinking, man, is that it? Yes, that is it. That's who you're with. That's who God has called you to be with. And you've got leaders like me to love and shepherd you. I'm sorry, that's all you've got. And yet God has given you each other. Why? So that we can be like that flock or whatever the collective noun of zebras is, to to look after each other and and love each other. You might be thinking, really? Yes, really. The call for for a Christian is to be a a brother, to be a sister to those in the room. God God has given you each other. He's given me and our leaders to point you to the chief shepherd, Jesus. He's placed you right now to actually show humility towards each other, to help us do that. As we wrap up, and I'm going to invite the band up now, um, we've seen today that the, the call for humility, we've seen in this series that the Christian life is a life of suffering. Christian life is a life of suffering. We shouldn't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes to us. Let me end with these verses, verse 10 and 11. Peter says that, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Looking to Christ, who suffered first and then went to glory. We too have, will suffer. But how good is that, that there's glory awaiting us? Eternal glory, where a hundred years will feel like a grain of sand on the beach of forever. Christ himself will restore us, renew us to an imperishable body without the aches, the pains, the disease, the cancer that this life will bring. God confirms us to be part of His flock, and He establishes us in a family that will never end. Friends, this is good news. Let's clothe ourselves in humility before our humble King. We're going to sing a song in a moment, uh, pretty much Psalm 23 to music, talking about Jesus as our shepherd. I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done in Jesus. Thank you that He is our chief shepherd who laid down His life for His flock. I pray too that we can be a healthy church, clothed in humility towards each other, that City on a Hill Brisbane would be known for their humility, our humility. And Lord, I pray uh, that we, uh, in the busyness of life, would look to You as our chief shepherd. Give us the strength, the tools, and each other. To help us keep going when life is hard, to celebrate the the wins when life is joyous, but ultimately, may you get the glory through our lives. And all of God's people said, "Amen." Thank you
0: for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.